Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles over to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. I'm very thankful to be back this week. Thanks so much to those of you that called or sent a text, reached out, prayed for our family. We've been battling COVID. Praise the Lord, we're past that now. I'm well. And, and just so you don't need to be afraid to talk to me, I, I met all the CDC requirements of quarantine and, and haven't had symptoms in a number of days and passed the negative test. One of the few tests I've passed in my life. I was happy about that. But I'm well, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm excited to be back. I'm, I'm thankful Joe stepped in for me last week, uh, did a great job. I'm just so thankful to serve in a church that there are people that can uh, stand here and faithfully proclaim the Word of God. And you should be very thankful for that as well. We're starting a new <clears throat> sermon series this week through the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to break it into sections. There are a lot of chapters in the book of Exodus. I'm excited about it. Been looking forward to this for a number of weeks, uh, really several months. We're supposed to start last week, as you know, but the Lord had different plans. We're going to kind of break Exodus into chunks. We're going to basically go up until Christmas in the first section, uh, really through the first 15 verses. And there's a lot we're going to see, uh, 15 verses, I'm sorry, 15 chapters. We're going to go a little quicker than that. I scared some of you. 15 chapters by Christmas. You know, it took them 40 years to get out of the wilderness. Hopefully it'll take us a little, uh, we'll go a little faster than that. But we're going to see a lot of themes, a lot of big ideas. One of the things I love about the book of Exodus is these iconic moments. There's so many iconic kind of, kind of big moments throughout this book. But if there's one theme I want you to get, we'll come back to this over and over. You'll see it time and time again. If there's one theme I want you to see and understand it's the power and the glory of the Lord. You're going to see that through the book of Exodus time and time and time again. We, we think about these stories that are so well known, the burning bush and the, the ten plagues and the Passover and the, the parting of the Red Sea, the, the giving of the Ten Commandments, the golden calf, the wandering in the wilderness, the building of the Ark of the Covenant, the building of the tabernacle. All these events are, are foundational to the Jewish faith, foundation to the book of Exodus, and, and foundational to the book of Exodus. And we're going to walk through these accounts. We're going to walk through these accounts of the power and the majesty and the glory of the Lord. One writer said it like this, in Exodus we witness God beginning to fulfill his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Though the children of Israel were enslaved in a foreign land, God miraculously and dramatically delivered them to freedom. And so we see these wonderful, beautiful, glorious stories of the power and the majesty of the Lord. And there's this beautiful kind of theme that we'll see of redemption and of hope and of promise. There are all kind of things we could talk about in Exodus. There are all kind of stories we could look at and all kind of themes we could discuss. We'll walk through those. But let me just give you a little bit of background before we jump right into the text this morning. Exodus, of course, as many of you probably know, was written by Moses. And it's one of five of the first five books, the Pentateuch. All right, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those first five books 
kind of come as a package deal. So this is important for us to understand. As we read through and study through the book of Exodus, we understand that the book of Exodus really started in the book of Genesis. All the things we need to know about the book of Exodus are started in the book of Genesis. So we'll spend a lot of time this morning in the book of Genesis, kind of walking through, building this foundational picture for you of the Lord, and especially of the covenant that the Lord establishes with his people. So let's jump right in this morning, Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now, let's stop there. Let's draw some truth out. We're going to be talking this morning and really throughout the book of Exodus about this idea of covenant. And all the main points I'm going to give you this morning are based on this idea of covenant. So here's the first truth I want you to see this morning. The first truth I want you to understand. Number one, God's covenant in this text is established. First of all, God's covenant is established. The entire narrative of Exodus is a covenant narrative about God and his people. Now, here's the theme you're going to see, and I want you to kind of pay attention to this. This is important. We'll come back to this later. There's this beautiful theme really through the book of Genesis into the book of Exodus that, watch, God is faithful even if we are not. Now, that's a theme we see not only in the first few books of the Old Testament. We see it all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. We see it in our lives today, right? When we go astray, when we step away, when we make a mistake, when we sin, whatever the case may be, even when we're not faithful, God is. And one of the beautiful pictures in the book of Exodus is kind of this roller coaster idea, There are moments when the people of Israel are faithful and trust the Lord, and there are moments when they are not. But throughout it all, regardless of how they may act, regardless of what they may think, uh, regardless of how they may feel, even when they're not trusting and fully faithful to the Lord, he's faithful to them. It's a beautiful picture of exactly who he is. It, It lets us into the heart of the Lord, of his faithfulness, of his majesty. Of his glory. So I'm going to walk through the book of Genesis just for a few minutes with you. I'm going to build this case of God's covenant, of God's faithfulness, of God's desire to walk with his people through the good and the bad. And so we're going to jump all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip back. We're going, to, we're going to show it on the screen as well. But I want to kind of begin to build this case that from the beginning, God is going to form this covenant with his people. He's going to walk with them faithfully through good and bad. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 27, right? God has created the heavens and the earth. He's looked down upon it. Everything is good. So in Genesis 1:27, the Bible says, So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, now this next phrase is very important. I want you to pay attention to it. You're going to hear it several times over the next few minutes. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right? God had created a perfect environment. God had created a perfect paradise in the Garden of Eden. God had placed Adam and Eve there. He walked with them. He lived in their presence. And then sin enters the world, Genesis chapter 3. When sin enters the world, everything changes. Uh, Adam and Eve separate themselves from the Lord because of their failure, because of their sin. Really, the book of Genesis and Exodus is about restoring that relationship with the Lord. Now, let's fast forward just for a few minutes. And we're going to walk through this and we'll get to this point. But eventually, latter part of the book of Exodus, the people that follow the Lord are going to build the tabernacle. When they build the tabernacle, part of the tabernacle is the Holy of Holies where the Lord resides. And so you've got Genesis chapter 1, God created everything good, blessed, called Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply. Genesis chapter 3, sin has broken that relationship. Rest of Genesis into Exodus is this story about redeeming that relationship. So when the tabernacle is built and the Holy of Holies is constructed, the Bible tells us that the presence of the Lord settles back again in that place. Listen, it's a restoration of Eden. And when we get to the tabernacle, fascinating how much it was like the Garden of Eden. There's so much symbolism in the tabernacle related to the Garden of Eden. We'll get there uh, later part of the book. But there's this restoration of the relationship of the Lord living with and among his people. Now watch, the people of Israel were, were still sinful. And so it's not a perfect relationship. It's not until Jesus comes and dies on the cross. Remember when Jesus dies on the cross, the Bible says that the veil between the the temple and the Holy of Holies was torn in two, showing symbolically now that we can come back fully into the presence of God, right? It's a restoration of Eden. See the beautiful picture there throughout the book of Genesis, Genesis, throughout the book of Exodus, all the way into Jesus. But here's the thing you need to understand. That relationship, that covenant, uh, that communication with the Lord wasn't restored because of something you did. It wasn't restored because of something I've done. It was restored because of who Christ is. And what he accomplished for us on the cross. And so if you think the book of Exodus is just one little book that's separate from everything else, you're mistaken. Exodus is this beautiful continuation of Genesis and the covenant all the way through to the temple, the tabernacle, the people of Israel, all the way until Christ, when he is crucified, rises again, the veil is torn. All of it is one continuous, beautiful story of God's plan for redemption for his people. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful reminder of his goodness. So God has created. He's called Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Move on to Genesis chapter 9. We have it on the screen. Now that phrase, be fruitful, multiply, we've already seen it in Genesis 1. Genesis 9 verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There it is again. Rock on Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land I will show you. Watch, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you 
Make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now move to Genesis 15. And the sun was setting. Abraham fell into a deep sleep. I'm in verse 12. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in the country. He's looking ahead now to Egypt. Strangers in the country, not their own. That they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward they will come out with great possessions. Right? There's this reminder. Listen, the Lord is going to walk with you. He's going to bless you. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to multiply. But you're going to go into this country where you're going to be enslaved. Right? You're going to be enslaved. It's going to be difficult for you. But don't worry. I'm still going to be with you. Afterwards, you're going to come out with great possessions. Okay? Genesis chapter 17 now. Fast forward a little bit to verse 2. The Lord says, I will make my covenant between you and me and may multiply you greatly. I will make you, in verse 6, exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Right? So there's this picture of a covenant. There's this idea that the Lord has spoken to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He's told Noah, be fruitful and multiply. He's told Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to walk in darkness. There's going to be a struggle, but I'm going to be with you. You're going to follow me. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. One writer said it like this, the whole story of Exodus is a covenant narrative. The God who pledged himself to Abraham and his descendants remained the faithful God. He has made promises and intended to honor them, and when his moment came, honor them he did. So all through the book of Genesis, right, we see this picture of God walking with his people of this covenant relationship of faithfulness. Now, you get to the end of the book of Genesis, and it's probably my favorite part of the story because we get into the story of Joseph. Genesis chapter 37, 38, 39, and follow. Basically, the story of Joseph. Now, Joseph, if you don't remember, is Jacob's youngest son, his favorite son. It's the coat of many colors. You've probably heard the story. And what happens is because uh, Joseph is so loved by his father, his brothers hate him. And you can go back and read through Genesis 37 if you want to and kind of follow the story. But the brothers hate him so much, they sell Joseph into slavery. When Joseph is sold into slavery, now here's the connection with Exodus. When Joseph is sold into slavery, he's taken to Egypt to live in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's a wealthy man, a government official. He's taken into Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him. He goes to jail while in jail, he interprets some dreams. Because he does such a good job of interpreting dreams, they take him in front of the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh says, listen, Joseph, I've had dreams. I need you to interpret my dreams, right? To kind of take a long story and a lot of verses in Genesis and kind of shorten it a little bit. Joseph says to Pharaoh, listen, you've had a dream or a series of dreams that basically tell you that there's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine, and if you don't prepare now for the famine, all of Egypt will die. And so Pharaoh says, listen, Joseph, you're the man. I'm going to put you second in charge of all of Egypt. 
you prepare our country. So Joseph goes out and he begins to store grain. He begins to prepare for the famine. When the famine arrives, the Bible says that the people of Egypt survive because of Joseph, right? Joseph is honored. The people love him. Here's the connection with his family. His father and all of his brothers come to live with him in Egypt. So you've got this connection now between the covenant. God's called Abraham Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jacob's sons in the 12 tribes, that's Joseph and his brothers, make it into Egypt. The connection of bringing these people into Egypt, all the while they're fruitful, they're multiplying, they're growing. The Lord has established with them a covenant. Now that covenant's plan and purpose is for the glory of the Lord to be made known throughout the earth. So we see verses like Psalm chapter 72. Beginning in verse 18, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name. Watch, may the whole earth be filled with his glory. So we've seen this covenant, right? This relationship between God and his people. We're going to see the Lord's faithfulness even when they're not. We see now this covenant established. Now let's look at verse 8 of Exodus chapter 1. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, right? So all the good that Joseph had done, all the ways in which Joseph had provided and saved the people of Egypt, the new leader, the Pharaoh, forgets Joseph, verse 9. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from our land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, listen, the more they multiplied. See the idea of the reminder of the covenant there? And the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So the first idea, we've seen that this covenant of the Lord established. Here's the second truth I want you to see. Number two, God's covenant now is remembered. Right? We've established it in the first seven verses. Now we're going to remember it. Verses 8 through 13. Now, Joseph had done a fantastic job leading the people of Egypt. He had prepared them for the famine. He had stored up a lot of grain, enough for the people to survive for the seven years of famine that they endured. But a time came, even though Joseph had been honored and loved by the people of Egypt, a time came when they forgot him. And because of the covenant with the Lord, because the Lord blessed the people of Israel, they grew. They became great in number. They multiplied. And because of that, the Egyptians are afraid of them, so they make them slaves. They afflict them. Verse 13 and 14 of Exodus 1 really kind of summarizes this. They ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. They made their lives bitter with hard service. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Right now, let's make the connection here. These are the people of the Lord. These are the people, this is God's chosen people, the group that he is in covenant with. When he says to them, I'm going to walk with you, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, it's 
built up from the beginning of creation all the way until now. God's chosen people are in this particular time period, at least, walking through darkness and pain and difficulty. Now, let's translate this in a form of application to our lives. Just because you love the Lord, just because you are a follower of Jesus, that doesn't mean you're not going to go through difficulty. I think there's a misunderstanding in the Christian world along those lines. I had a conversation with a guy this morning early, and he was saying he worries about Western Christianity, and he worries that we've kind of dumbed down the gospel. He worries that we've made it too simple and too easy, and we just want comfort, and we just want to feel good and be entertained. And he thinks that we've kind of gotten away from this place of truly preaching the Word of God and understanding the power and the majesty of the Lord. I think that's true. And as we begin to study Scripture and really try to understand it, we come to this place where we say, listen, Christianity and walking with Christ isn't always going to be easy. In fact, there will be suffering. There will be struggles. There, there will be difficult days. Being followers of Jesus doesn't make us immune to those same things. But here's the beautiful part about walking with Christ. As we think about pain and as we think about uh, difficulties, as we pray for relief and for hope, we understand scripturally that as we walk through these difficult times, it's in those moments oftentimes that the Lord speaks to us and leads us and strengthens our faith. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. I love Spurgeon. If you've never read Charles Spurgeon, you ought to read him. Here's what he says. The whip of persecution is helpful because it makes us learn that this is the house of bondage and moves us to long after and seek for the land of liberty, the land of joy. Another writer said it like this. He said, suffering helps us look for our Savior. Right? Sometimes we're quick to think in the middle of struggles, uh, in the middle of difficulties, that the Lord couldn't possibly be with us because why would he allow us to go through such pain? Why would he allow us to go through such agony? But I'm reminded of verses like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Here's what the Word of God says. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen, excuse me, the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, sometimes we have to go through the struggle in order to appreciate the relief. Sometimes we have to go through the pain in order to see the glory of the Lord. Imagine if, if the people of Egypt had not been enslaved. Imagine if they had just kind of always been comfortable, always been happy, always been well-fed, never gone through the struggle they went through, they never would have seen the glory and the power of the Lord. Sometimes we walk through these difficulties, God's own people, mind you. Sometimes we walk through these difficulties simply so the Lord can display his power to us, so he can display his glory to us. 
when we're comfortable and entertained and relaxed, oftentimes we don't need the Lord. It's in the moments of trial that we see him. Now let's continue as we wind up this morning. Exodus 1 verse 15. If you thought it was dark, it's about to get darker. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives, listen, underline this, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied. There's the idea again. Multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Right? We've seen the covenant established. We've remembered the covenant. Here's the third thing. God's covenant is now going to be renewed. God's covenant renewed. Now Pharaoh said, listen, these people are growing. We have enslaved them. We've beat them. We've tried to pull them into submission. None of it has worked. They're continuing to grow and multiply. Why? Because of the faithfulness of the Lord, by the way, his covenant. They're continuing to grow. They're continuing to multiply. We need to take these children now, these male babies, and kill them so that these people won't grow any stronger. If we can kill all the male babies, then in a certain number of years, there won't be enough to continue to populate. This group of people will eventually die out. We'll begin to contain them, and we'll be strong again. What Pharaoh meant for destruction, God used for his glory. Now, there's an interesting idea kind of, kind of built into this, and it kind of helps for us to understand that the perspective of these midwives. Remember, Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world as far as they knew, and probably realistically at that point in history. Pharaoh could have done anything to any of those people. And so when this leader kind of rained down this edict to these midwives, they would dare never not obey. But they understood something. They understood that what the Pharaoh was asking them to do was murder It was sinful. And so they made this very difficult choice. They chose in that moment, instead of obeying a a sinful rule from a sinful leader, they chose instead to honor and to trust and obey the Lord. I, I think there's a point of application there for us. It doesn't matter what you're told to do, whoever tells you to do it, whether it's a ruler or a friend or a boss or a coworker, whomever it may be, when you're asked to do something against the truth of God's word, you should never do it. We can't allow pressure to move us in the direction of disobedience. And although we'll probably never be asked to do anything like this, we have opportunities every day to choose to trust the Lord, don't we? We have opportunities every day to choose to obey him at work, at home, in the sports field, whatever the case may be, we have opportunities 
every day of our lives to choose to trust the Lord. Even when the world says one thing, even when the world is calling or our friends are calling or social media is calling or whatever the case may be, we always have a choice. And I think these midwives are important for us to be reminded of when we trust the Lord and when we follow him, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances, the Lord will walk with us and bless us and use us for his glory and for his honor. Now, there, there are people in this room that have been saved for a, a long time. You've probably been a Christian longer than a lot of people in this room have been alive. Thank you, by the way, for your faithfulness. Thank you for decades, for some of you, of service, trusting and obeying the Lord. But I also understand sometimes we come to this place in our lives where maybe we step away or we kind of get a little cold for the things of the Lord or we follow a path we shouldn't or for whatever reason we just kind of lose touch with who the Lord is in our lives. Maybe we need to be reminded like the people of Israel or Israel were that sometimes we need to renew that relationship with the Lord. Sometimes we, we need to renew that time of prayer or renew that Bible study, or renew that time of trusting the Lord. So if you've been a believer a number of years, the challenge for you this morning, what do you need to do to be renewing your faith in Christ? What do you need to be doing every single day to renew that walk, to renew that trust, to renew that time in the Word, to renew that prayer? But maybe you're here this morning, or maybe you're at home, you're watching online somewhere, and you've never fully accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You say, I've heard some of these stories. I know a little bit about the Bible. I don't really know who Jesus is. I'd love to explain to you this morning what his hope and his joy and his forgiveness offers. Because the Bible teaches, unless you've repented of your sins and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not saved. And I'd love to tell you more. I'd love, I'd love, to, love to talk to you about the glory of the Lord and his majesty and all that he's done in my life and all he can do in your life. We're going to give you a time of invitation here in just a moment. We're going to give you a time to pray. We're going to give you a time to come to the altar if you'd like. I'm here to talk to you. I'd love to share with you more about who the Lord is. I'd love to pray with you. But I want you to take very seriously this calling in your life. You think about the covenant of the Lord and how it started in the book of Genesis all the way through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, what he's given you, what he's offered you. Have you renewed your life today with him? Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? Let this be the moment let this be the day where all that changes for you. Now let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for this incredibly challenging book, Lord, the beauty of your majesty and your glory and your power, the covenant that you established from the beginning with your people, your faithfulness outside of them, Father, continues through with Jesus, even in our failures, Lord. You are just and righteous, and steady, Father. Praise your name for that. Be with us this morning, Lord, as we allow this scripture to, to kind of rattle around in our minds a little bit, Father. If we've been a believer for a number of years, maybe this is a day of renewal for us to be reminded of your goodness. If there's someone here this morning that's never prayed to receive Christ, let this be the moment. Speak to their hearts in a very clear way. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.